1: I've always been a pragmatic man. I didn't believe in tales spun around campfires or the whispers of shadows that live in the corners of one's eyes. I was a straightforward guy, a military man who enjoyed a good beer and didn't bother much with the supernatural. I was from Spain, but had moved to the States as a kid. I went to high school here, joined the military, and ended up stationed near the border. My Spanish came in handy, and I would often cross the border into Mexico. It was in Mexico that I met her, the woman who would become my wife. Back then, she was just my girlfriend, a beautiful enigma who I was just beginning to unravel. Her father was an enigmatic man himself, a drafting teacher at a local college and a firm believer in the paranormal. I thought he was crazy with his talks about UFOs and death, but he asked me one day if I believed in death. I told him we were all going to die. He clarified, no, the actual Grim Reaper. Do you believe in it? I laughed it off. "'thinking he was just trying to rattle me. "'But he was serious. "'My girlfriend, now my wife, was quiet as her father asked me "'what I would think if he showed me a picture of death itself, "'the grim reaper. "'I didn't know what to make of it. "'My girlfriend just smiled at me. "'Her mother chimed in from the kitchen, "'and I was sitting there in a foreign country "'with people I barely knew, "'thinking I was caught in some bizarre horror film. "'He offered to show me the picture, "'and despite my growing apprehension, I agreed.' He returned with pictures postcard-sized and flipped over. He began to explain how these pictures came into his possession. A friend of his, who owned a camera shop, had called him urgently one day, A man had brought in a picture of his brother on his deathbed, taken in the forties or fifties. He wanted the picture restored, and when the picture was blown up during the restoration process the grim reaper was visible at the foot of the bed. My heart pounded in my chest as he finally flipped the pictures over. What I saw was just as he described. The man lying on the bed, the flowers by his side, and there at the foot of his bed was the figure, a dark robe with no connection to the ground, skeletal fingers clutching a stick, a skull peeking out from beneath a hood, and the stick topped with a sickle. I felt a chill run down my spine. My blood turned to ice, and I had to look away. I couldn't sleep. For days after that, I was stationed in a barracks on a base, and every time I closed my eyes, I saw the picture. My friends noticed my unrest, and when I told them the story, they didn't believe me. I had even invited some of them over to Mexico to see the picture, and they were as shaken as I was. To this day, I can't forget that picture, and I haven't seen it since. The Grim Reaper was real to me in that moment, as real as the picture that I held in my hands. I had been a skeptic, but that experience shook me to my core. It was a window into a world that I had chosen to ignore. A world that was as real as the one I lived in. It was a chilling reminder of our mortality, and it was a memory that would haunt me for the rest of my life. As a member of the elite special forces team, I found myself at the forefront of a crisis that shook the very foundations of global security. When a ruthless terrorist organization infiltrated the world's defense systems, chaos and fear spread like wildfire. The world stood on the brink of disaster, and it was up to us to prevent the unthinkable from becoming reality. Our team, a group of highly skilled and dedicated operatives, was hastily assembled to counter the cyber-attacks and dismantle the terrorists' headquarters. It was a mission like no other, one that demanded quick thinking, precision, and nerves of steel. As we gathered in the command center, the gravity of the situation weighed heavily on our shoulders. The initial attack vectors were traced to multiple locations around the world, signaling that this was a coordinated and sophisticated operation. Our mission would take us on a globe, trotting adventure, chasing shadows, and confronting deadly adversaries at every turn. Our first destination was a high-tech data center in the heart of Silicon Valley. The terrorists had manipulated its defenses, turning it into a deadly fortress. As we breached the facility, we faced off against a group of highly skilled hackers who were fiercely determined to protect their secrets. Through a relentless series of intense battles, we emerged victorious. But it was just the beginning. Our journey took us to the bustling streets of Shanghai, where we encountered elite mercenaries armed with cutting-edge technology. They seemed to anticipate our every move, making it clear that this enemy was unlike any we had faced before. Next, we traveled to the ancient city of Istanbul, where we infiltrated an underground network of cybercriminals who were aiding the terrorist organization. The labyrinthine alleys and hidden passages tested our wits as we engaged in a high-stakes game of cat and mouse. With each victory, we gained valuable intel, piecing together the puzzle that would lead us to the terrorists' main stronghold. We discovered their ultimate goal, to cripple the world's defenses, allowing them to unleash devastation on a global scale. The final showdown awaited us in a remote fortress hidden deep within the rugged mountains of Afghanistan. The terrorist's leader, a brilliant mastermind, was the puppeteer behind the entire operation. As we stormed the fortress, we faced a gauntlet of traps, guards, and advanced weaponry. The climactic battle was a symphony of chaos and precision. Our team worked in perfect harmony, each member contributing their unique skills to dismantle the enemy's last line of defense. We confronted the terrorist's leader, engaging in a fierce hand-to-hand combat that pushed us to our physical and mental limits. In the end, we emerged victorious, capturing the mastermind behind the global cyber-attacks. Our mission had succeeded, and the world's defenses were safe once more, but the scars of the battle would forever mark us a reminder of the price we paid to protect the world from those who sought to sow destruction and fear. As we returned to our base, we knew that the fight against terrorism was far from over. Our globe-trotting adventure had been just one chapter in an ongoing battle against those who would threaten the safety and security of the world. But with unyielding determination and an unwavering commitment to our mission, we stood ready to face whatever challenges lay ahead for we were the elite special forces team, and we would never falter in our duty to protect and defend. (laughs) To set things up, me, 19 female, and my boyfriend, 26 male, both have extensive experience in the woods. I hiked across the Pacific Trail from Ashland to the bridge of the gods at the border of Washington, and that took six weeks. I've always enjoyed the outdoors, and I've never felt unsafe even when getting close to wildlife such as bears. My boyfriend grew up in a rural area surrounded by farmland, so he's also comfortable with the outdoors. We decide to go camping in a lake which is about 45 minutes away from Yakima, Washington, and this region of Washington has an abundance of Native American land, history, and Native people, of course. Not sure if it's relevant, but I thought I'd add it. We end up Get in the lake at 10.45 p.m. As we pull into the entrance, I immediately get a bad feeling. I have only felt something like this a handful of times in my entire life. I tell my boyfriend basically this place is giving me a bad vibe. Man, and he says I'm just scared of the dark. Utterly dismissing my feelings. As we round the curve, I'm struck with the reality that I've had a dream about this place. His car, a Crown Victoria, the specific shape of the road... The light from his headlights. It wasn't déjà vu. It was straight out of a dream I had when I was maybe twelve years old. I tell my boyfriend I've dreamt about this place. Everything about it. I go into more detail than that, but you get the idea. In my dream, there was a pale, creepy face with reflective eyes staring at me through the trees. And I just remember running as fast as I can from it down the road. Again, he considers what I'm saying, but ultimately disregards it. We pull up to the campsite and set up pretty fast. Maybe 15 minutes and we've got our tent up. The fire going and my boyfriend has a cigar lit since he's terribly addicted to the nasty thing. As we sit around the campfire he's puffing away and suddenly we hear this wildly loud screaming. It sounded like a group of college kids screaming their drunken asses off, but it didn't sound quite right if that makes sense. It sounded like men and women screaming in perfect unison, the high and low screams melding together. I instantly tried to rationalize the strange sound. It was maybe a mile away, just over a hill. Possibly. Moments later, we hear it again, but on the opposite direction. And it's closer. Now probably a half a mile away. I swear to God it sounded more disturbing, realizing that sound is not human at all. I don't know if it was more distorted and alien or if the proximity allowed me to hear it better. We begin to quietly discuss how that sound is not normal. Neither of us in all of our years of hiking and traveling have ever heard something remotely like that. Moments later, the sound is not further than a football field away. My boyfriend puts his cigar down, grabs his gun, and we agree to ignore it and no longer speak of it for the rest of the night. We hop in our tent and wake up to a gorgeous sunny day. His cigar was missing that next morning. We talked about it a bit that day, and it still freaks us out thinking about it. I believe that when it sounded far away, it was actually very close. These creatures have an ability to sound far away when really they're not far at all. I heard from some people that the further they sound, the closer they are. Thoughts, feelings, opinions. Story is 100% real, by the way. My friends and I like to go camping when there is a lot of snow out because it's just different and really isn't too bad, as long as you know how to pack for snow and properly layer. Another reason we really like to go then is because there is so few people and we like to shoot guns, and the less people there, the less complications that go with that. With that ill explain what happened. Myself and two of my friends, we will just refer to them as Chris and Dean. Went out to find a spot to park our vehicles and hike out a bit in the snow to find a spot to camp up on a mountain that was just past the southern part of Rimrock Lake, past the airport a bit. We find a spot that is clear of snow that snowmobilers use to park their trucks and unload their snowmobiles. From there we see a trail that doesn't look like it has deep snow. So we decide to go down it a bit and see if we can get closer to the mountain since it would be a lot less walking. We make it about halfway there and both Dean's jeep, and my truck get stuck, and we can't get them out at all. We decide to go up the mountain a bit and see if we can get cell service. So we can call Dean's uncle, since we knew he owned a recovery rig he built for the snow. We go up bringing our rifles with us, and we come to a clearing with some piles of wood pallets. Dean's phone gets service, and he calls his uncle, and said he can come help us out, but probably won't be until morning, since he's out of town that day. We tell him it's fine since we were staying the night anyway. So while we're just hanging out, we decide to staple some paper targets to the pallets to shoot. That since it was a good area with a backstop to shoot. We shoot for about 30 minutes and hear a scream like you described, but it sounded pretty far away. Chris doesn't really camp that often, so he was commenting on how weird it was, and myself and Dean were like, hey, probably just snowmobilers around or something, even though we didn't see anyone near us at all. We keep going until it starts to get dusk and we hear it again and it sounded closer. We all kind of looked at each other, acknowledging that it was weird and decided to head down to where the vehicles were stuck and set up camp there since Dean forgot his sleeping bag in the Jeep. We start walking down again and the scream happened again, but in the opposite direction. We start to move a little bit quicker down the hill and get to our vehicles and start setting up tents and everything. We are in the middle of that when the scream happened again, but sounded close as fuck. We all stop and look at each other and decide to grab our rifles and look around. At this point, it's pretty dark, so we really couldn't see much, but myself and Chris had weapon-mounted flashlights on our rifles, so we just turned them on and started scanning the area, but didn't see anything out of the ordinary. After that, we didn't hear it again. Next day, Dean's uncle came out and pulled us out of the snow. We tell him the story. He's been going there for like 30-plus years. And he said very nonchalantly, ''Yeah, that shit happens.'' I don't know what it could be, but that's why i just bring a high-power rifle. L-O-L-O. I heard screams like that before, but I always thought it was just people partying in the woods, since it always happened in the spring or summer. It happening in the winter when there is feet of snow was spooky, since there really isn't a lot of people that camp out there during that time. Since then, it's made me rethink if it really is just people partying in the woods or something else. I don't know what it could be, but... It is very strange, and like I said at the beginning, I just chalk it up to the woods and just spooky like that Hello. <laughs> I live in a very small town in Kansas, and last night I woke up to every dog in the town barking. Then all of a sudden something started making a noise like I've never heard before, and all the dogs got quiet. This thing sounded like it was three or four blocks away, and then within a second it sounded like it was in my backyard. I could hear it moving outside my house, then it would sound like it was blocks away again. And it just kept repeating the howl it was making. It kept doing this for about fifteen minutes. My friends and I were inseparable. Our favorite pastime was playing manhunt in the dense forest near our neighborhood. The thrill of chasing each other through the woods and the adrenaline rush of trying not to be caught kept us entertained for hours on end. One summer evening we had split up in teams, and the game was in full swing. The forest had always felt eerie, and the sense of being watched was ever-present. But we were young and fearless, and the excitement of the game outweighed any lingering uneasiness. As darkness fell, we started to lose track of each other. My friend, let's call him Mike had wandered deeper into the forest, drawn by what he believed were our voices calling out to him. The calls grew louder and more insistent, luring him further into the dense woods. Mike eventually stumbled upon an unsettling scene. Small figures made of sticks were hanging from the trees all around him, like eerie effigies, swaying gently in the breeze. In the middle of the forest he found a church that seemed to appear out of nowhere, its presence entirely out of place. The calls he had been following abruptly stopped, leaving him with a chilling silence. What Mike didn't know was that we had left the forest long before, concerned for his safety and unable to locate him. The voices he had heard were not ours, and he couldn't shake the feeling that something sinister had been trying to lure him deeper into the woods. Terrified, Mike raced back towards the edge of the forest, desperate to escape the haunting scene he had just witnessed. When he finally emerged, breathless and shaken, we were waiting for him. As he recounted his experience, we couldn't help but feel a shiver run down our spines. To this day we don't know how much of Mike's story was true, or whether his imagination had gotten the better of him, but one thing was certain. The forest had always been a place where we felt uneasy. We had come across broken bottles, mysterious teepees, and signs of demonic activity, likely the work of mischievous teenagers with a can of spray paint. But after that night we couldn't shake the feeling that something darker lurked within those woods. We never played manhunt in the forest again, and the memories of our carefree teenage years were forever tinged with the eerie echoes of that one fateful night.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: When I was around 10, I was walking along a track near the ocean with my parents. I ran ahead and heard a commotion in the tree above me Uh Looked up in time to see a possum's carcass drop at my feet. Its head was gone. I had spooked an eagle. I immediately looked back at my dad, thinking it was some practical joke he's pulled. When we were walking back, we saw a couple and warned them to watch out for flying headless possums. They must have thought we were crazy. My day started like any other summer day. Only this time I had the whole day to myself. It was August 7th and I had decided to spend it in the beautiful town of Valsets, Oregon, specifically on the south fork of the Silas River. I was just a mile west of the town, an area now closed due to fire danger. My plan was to enjoy a peaceful day panning for gold, something I found to be incredibly calming and rewarding over the years. The morning was beautiful, with a cool breeze and the sun's rays piercing through the tall trees. After a while, I got lost in the peaceful rhythm of panning. Suddenly, a smell hit me. It was peculiar and strong, something I hadn't experienced before. It was a mixture of wet dog and something else I couldn't put my finger on. Lifting my gaze from the shimmering water, I saw it. Through the rim of my glasses, I could see a figure standing tall and motionless. I squinted, adjusting my glasses for a clearer view, and there it was, a creature that could only be described as a Bigfoot, staring right at me. It was about eight feet tall, covered in dark fur, its eyes holding an intelligent yet wild gaze. My heart pounded in my chest as a wave of fear washed over me. However, instead of screaming or running, I decided to talk softly to the creature. Trying to show it, I meant no harm. To my surprise, it tilted its head slightly, as if listening, then turned around and walked away into the forest. Still shaken, I packed my gear and headed for my car my day of peaceful panning now transformed into a day I'd never forget. As I drove off, I glanced at the trees, and there it was, another one, silently standing and watching from the forest's edge. Now I know there will be skeptics reading this. It's not every day someone claims to have seen a Bigfoot, let alone two in one day. But I stand by what I saw, and as incredible as it may sound, it wasn't the first time. Over the years, I've been fortunate, or maybe just plain lucky, to have had about 40 or 50 encounters with these elusive creatures. My experiences have made me believe that there's a lot more to this world than we think we know. I was backpacking with my boyfriend in the mountains in Colorado. The area was fairly popular, a big parking lot with a few trails that split off into different directions. We had passed through a big valley and were making our way up through steep woods with lots of switchbacks. We were carrying good-sized packs and planned camp in an alpine meadow above. It was summer. Good weather. Good times. I have a few guns, and I brought one that I hadn't hiked with before. A Smith & Wesson 4-inch 686. It was heavy. We took turns carrying it in the holster, in hand, not on my hip like I do with my smaller and lighter 3-inch Smith. I had started with it on my hip, but it was too big, awkward, heavy. My boyfriend is carrying the gun as we turn past another switchback. We see a guy coming down the trail towards us. A few unusual things immediately caught our attention. One, he didn't have a backpack or water or any gear at all. We were a few miles in, so someone should at least have water. Two, he was wearing surgical-type gloves. For real, not regular outdoor gloves." Not some new-fangled hipster outdoor gloves from REI. Actual surgical gloves in the middle of the forest. Three. He had an extremely creepy expression. Eyes too big and wide. Icky, too big smile. My boyfriend and I exchanged a few quick words before he reached us, getting mentally prepared. My boyfriend had the gun if we needed it, and we stepped off the trail slightly so he wouldn't pass too close. He just smiled his creepy smile and went past. Because my boyfriend was carrying that heavy gun in his hand, still holstered, that dude knew we had a gun. It obviously wasn't pointed at the guy, but he knew. As we went on, my boyfriend and I kept stopping and checking to be sure he wasn't coming back behind us. Not far past this, we saw a bit of blue tarp poking out from behind a large rock. We both thought it could be a body or something, so my boyfriend checked, and wasn't happy to have that job. Just a tarp, crumpled, but in good shape seemed to have been put there recently. Not sure why it would be way up there, though. We eventually reached the Alpine Lake and camped. Nothing bad happened. There was another couple somewhat nearby on one side of the lake, which made me feel better. Normally, I'd rather be alone after backpacking in. But they were closer to the trail, so if the crazy dude came back, maybe he'd go after them first, and we would hear something. I know, that's really horrible to think, say that. But they were a buffer. Anyway, nothing bad happened. But we never forgot that dude. I'm so glad I wasn't alone. Thank you, boyfriend. Why no gear or water but surgical gloves and a lunatic expression a few miles in on a mountain trail? I was hiking a 1,400-foot trail. I got to the peak and appreciated the view. It was cloudy at top, and the mist added to the serenity. As I turned to go back down, I stopped dead in my tracks after hearing gunfire. First a few shots, then semi-automatic gunfire. I went about 300 feet before seeing another person. They were scared, too. I could hear the sound getting louder as I walked down. With my heart beating 130 BPM, I ran into a guy and his two sons coming up the trail. I asked him about the gunfire, and he said, Oh, don't worry, that's my wacky neighbor. I live right next door to him. They do this all weekend. Their plot is next to the trail. I sighed and kept going down. As I got to my car, I sat in it for a while, trying to catch my breath. I stepped out, and as I was changing my shoes, the guy with the two kids came across me and smiled. I see you made it down okay. Don't worry about him. He's just crazy about shooting cans in his yard. I nodded and smiled, vowing not to go back there too soon. It was a beautiful trail, too. I was camped in the back country on a solo PC tip in 2012. Got up early and had a short hiking day, so I left my tent set up and walked to a nice waterfall a few hundred yards away to watch the sun rise and wash my face. I got back about an hour later and all my stuff had been stolen. Tent sleeping stuff, backpack clothing, trekking poles. I was several cross-country miles from any road, alone. All I had left was my phone and my bare canister, Stored away from the camp, natch, with a couple days worth of food, and actually my stove, which was only in there because the canister was relatively empty, so I didn't have to keep it with the rest of my stuff. Definitely the most F-up thing ever. Went hiking in a trail in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. There is a ravine at the bottom of the hill, and there were police at the entrance of the trail telling everyone not to go down to the ravine, where there is a waterfall, because there have been numerous deaths over the years. We still went down. After looking at the beautiful waterfall, as we start to climb back up, there's a group of four, two male to female, in front of us heading back up, and one of the guys slips and starts falling down the hill and couldn't catch himself. So he was sprinting downhill at extreme speeds and got crushed into a pile of rocks. He was okay, blood everywhere, and was rushed to the hospital, but it was definitely the most fucked up thing I have ever seen considering the police beforehand told everyone not to go down into the Ravine, B.C. people die from it. I was about sixteen. It was 2009, and I lived in a rural area in northern NSW, Australia. I used to bushwalk in the surrounding bushland with my dogs. I would often hike up to the ridgeline overlooking a neighboring valley, but I never ventured down, as it was private property, and there were a lot of dodgy people growing weed in the area, and they could be fiercely protective of their crops. Anyway, I digress. It was coming on dusk in midwinter, and I had the sudden compulsion to venture down into the valley and explore the forest at its bottom. I found a cattle trail and followed it. There were heaps of hoofprints and scattered among them, dozens of pawprints. Several minutes pass, and the fog is beginning to settle in. I enter a clearing, and there's clearly been some kind of disturbance. My healers are going mad, racing about and sniffing wildly. Something in the middle of the clearing catches their attention, and I investigate all the while the hair on the back of my neck is standing on end. Lo and behold, the grass-filled cow stomach is lying in the mud. There are no signs of the rest of the cow, just the stomach. I made a swift exit and never went down that way again, but the wild dogs in the area did end up nearly killing one of my dogs about a year later when she intercepted a pack of them crossing through our bottom paddock. Our other dog we adopted from a neighboring farmer who claimed he had found her with her dead mother on the side of the road. He reckoned she had been a feral. Needless to say, an incredibly eerie experience, and one I'll never forget. I stood at the edge of Pisgah National Park, taking in the breathtaking vista before me. Towering trees reached towards the sky, their lush green foliage forming a canopy that bathed the forest floor in dappled sunlight. The air carried a crisp freshness, blending the scents of pine and earth. While the chorus of birdsong serenaded my senses, it was in this tranquil wilderness that I found solace and purpose as a park ranger. My name is Jakey, a father to two wonderful children, and an occasional gardener in my off-duty hours. The wilderness was my sanctuary, where I could reconnect with nature and provide a safe haven for visitors to enjoy the wonders of the park. One day, while attending to my gardening duties, I received an urgent call from the forest service. They informed me of a string of mysterious disappearances that had occurred within one of the park's campgrounds. Concerned and intrigued, I made my way to the Forest Service office, where they handed me a map detailing the marked areas where these disturbing incidents had taken place. As I studied the map, a memory stirred within me. There was a hidden cave nestled between the marked locations. Unknown to most, it was a secret I had stumbled upon during my exploration of the park's depths. Fear mingled with excitement as I realized that this hidden cave might hold the key to unraveling the mystery. Without informing anyone of my intentions, I embarked on a covert journey towards the unmarked cave. My heart pounded in my chest, adrenaline coursing through my veins. I knew the risks involved, yet my duty as a park ranger propelled me forward. After what felt like an eternity of traversing the dense undergrowth, I finally arrived at the entrance of the cavern. A sense of foreboding hung in the air as if the very nature of the place held secrets that dared not be spoken. I took a cautious step forward, my senses on high alert, and then I saw it. Before me stood a creature unlike anything I had ever encountered. It resembled a bear, but its form was distinctly humanoid. Its massive frame loomed over the remnants of its prey, gnawing on bones with an unsettling savagery. The sight sent shivers down my spine. Fear mingled with determination as I unholstered my rifle, aiming it at the cryptid. With a burst of courage I pulled the trigger, the deafening crack of the gunshot filling the air. The creature let out a pained moan and swiftly disappeared into the depths of the forest, blending seamlessly with its surroundings. Driven by a mixture of duty and curiosity, I pursued the creature through the dense underbrush. But no matter how hard I tried, it remained elusive disappearing like a ghost into the wilderness. When I returned to the cavern, a scene of horror awaited me. The lifeless bodies of fifteen missing campers lay strewn across the cold, rocky floor. A wave of sorrow washed over me, my heart heavy with the knowledge that I had not arrived in time to save them. I immediately contacted the police, informing them of the grisly discovery. They arrived swiftly, their expressions a mix of shock and disbelief, The weight of my responsibilities as a park ranger settled heavily upon my shoulders, knowing that I had failed those whose lives had been tragically cut short. My buddy, our dogs and I were on our way back from South Zapata Lake in the Rio Grande, Colorado. You pass a historic log cabin about one-half mile in right after the first stream crossing. I noticed a strong, smoky smell, and could see a thin hair of smoke rising inside the log cabin's fire ring. We put it out with our Nalgene water, and, similar to the top post, we're 100% sure the wind would have stoked it and the building would be ashes in the surrounding forest if we didn't. I've seen some pretty strange Canadian trailer park backwoods areas in the Big East River in Muskoka, Ontario. My trip was doing the meanest link route, eighteen day, and we stayed near this cabin called the Exotic Muskoka Hunting Lounge. Hmm, nothing notably F up. Just a lot of random machinery and items scattered about. Just a General Hills have eyes feeling, I guess. Also, didn't help my friend was lost for seven hours the day after while taking the wrong turn on an ATV trail portaging a river bend. If alone a TV driver didn't stumble upon him carrying his cedar canvas canoe, he would have slept under it that night. We were about fifteen days into a twenty-one-day trip in Algonquin Provincial Park, staying the night on Eustache Lake, a gorgeous, deep lake nestled just outside the Patawawa River, and were met by a lone traveler stating he'd embarked on a thirty-day trip. He asked us if we had any sugar while on the river, and our head guide said we didn't have any extra provisions. A few hours pass, and he bumps into our crew again near the Eustache portage, he asks. again if we have any extra food supplies for him. And the head guide sternly said no. After this, he continued to paddle down the river. Our trip completes the 2.6 kilometers portage and makes camp at the biggest site on the lake. One of three. As we're cooking dinner, we see the solo traveler paddle in at dusk and all the campers, self-included, got some super eerie vibe seeing him paddle in, like a shadow paddling across the water. On my 45-day trip to Hudson Bay, we saw a polar bear eating a dead polar bear right near the bay. Spent the night in Fort Severn. The dead polar bear resembled an uncooked rotisserie chicken about the size of AAV Jetta. Once went camping in North Dakota. Had a large group of wild bison come by into our campsite, which apparently was common according to the ranger. What was uncommon, however, was the dead coyote hanging off the horn of one of the big males' horns. Yes, apparently coyotes will try to attack the young calves if they think they can get a straggler. Yes, bison horns can gore a coyote pretty nastily. No, no one was brave enough to try and get the coyote corpse off the bison, nor did the bison really seem to mind having a dead animal on its head.